Happy Lord's Day. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We just sang it, that he's risen from the grave, and he rose on a Sunday. So saints all around the world gather on Sundays. The Bible calls it the Lord's Day. The saints gather all around the world to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. My name is PJ. I'm one of the four pastors here and one of the 116 members of BBC. We'd like to welcome you to our gathering this morning. Thanks for coming. Uh, We're going to meditate on God's word now and feast on his word for us. And so because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please take your Bible and open it to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 in your Bible. We're going to look at verses 24 to 52. Matthew 13, 24 to 52. As we continue our series through Matthew, this is the the third major teaching block in the book of Matthew where Jesus teaches. So if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, it's one of the big sections of all red where Jesus is teaching about himself and about his kingdom to come. So we're going to really cover all the rest of the parables in Matthew 13, beginning verse 24, ending in verse 52. Hear God's word. Jesus presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, the the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and pull them up? The servants asked him. No, he said. When you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat into my barn. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it is taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables, but he did not tell them anything without a parable so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He replied, The one who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed. These are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and tells everything he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found the one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish, and when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, and gathered good fish into containers, but threw out worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Have you understood all these things? They answered him, yes. Therefore, he said to them, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us. Father, we praise you and thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you reveal truths, that you declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world, that in your word read, your voice is heard. We thank you for these words of Jesus, these words from heaven that give us life, that feed us. So teach us, Lord, this morning. Rebuke us and reprove us this morning. Convict us of sin this morning. Uh, correct us and show us the right way to trust you and live for you and train us in righteousness, we pray. This can only come about by your Holy Spirit and by your supernatural grace. It doesn't come from us. Apart from you, Lord Jesus, we can do nothing but waste our time thinking and sitting here. So change us, we pray. Speak a specific word to us, to individuals here going through whatever they're going through this week. Encourage them this week with these words. And for others here, Lord, rebuke us and change us and speak a general word to our church family and to us as neighbors here in Southeast Los Angeles. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So yesterday I was tempted to sinfully complain and be angry at God. I was playing basketball and I jumped and grabbed a rebound and I felt my knee pop. Same knee as two years ago. Same sport, basketball. Same person on the court, Jose Pastores. <laughs> I fell to the ground. And I asked the guys to pray for me. I was so angry, just initially feeling this rush and surge of emotion. And I asked the guys, first of all, don't, don't pray for my injury. Pray for my... Pray for my soul right now. Pray for me first. Pray for my soul. I started praying and struggling with God right there in that moment. Um, and it was all BBC guys, except for uh, one neighbor uh, that we just met yesterday there at the park. And so they prayed, for, they prayed for my soul, prayed for me to trust God and rejoice in God in this trial, and then they prayed for my knee. But I felt that temptation. Anger, frustration. I wasn't trying to aim my anger at God. I just want to be angry in general. That's okay. It's a broken world. But deep down, it could be, I know God is sovereign. God's in control. And I wanted to lash out like an angry king, as if the world and God had done me wrong and interrupted my kingdom, my reign. I mean, I'm going to graduate next month, and then we're going on a vacation next month, and then I'm going to go on sabbatical for three months. And I'm going to need another surgery maybe. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. And so these things are coming through, rushing through my mind. And I'm just trying to trust God and not sin against him in that moment. But I felt like my kingdom of health and what I was planning for the summer was crumbling right in front of my face. Everyone seeks first a kingdom. You know, we, we learned seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everyone seeks first a kingdom. Not necessarily God's kingdom, but a kingdom. And everyone believes that if they seek first this kingdom, whatever that kingdom is, all their needs will be met as they pursue that kingdom. For some, it's the kingdom of money. We just read about the love of money. For others, it's the kingdom of my current nuclear family. Or maybe it's my extended family that is my kingdom. Or for others, it might be physical fitness or physical health or physical beauty. For others, it might be the kingdom of knowledge, because knowledge is power, right? Or for others, it might be the kingdom of reputation, or admiration from my community, or influence. For pastors like me, it may be the kingdom of my church, as if it is my church. Everyone lives for a kingdom and makes it a priority to seek their kingdom. Every moment of your life, you're living for some kingdom. You could switch between kingdoms because most of us are Christian here. So we do seek God's kingdom and then we get derailed and distracted for a while and then we get refocused in repentance and faith. 
But everyone lives for a kingdom. Do you remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Satan there, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, trying to convince Eve to live for a different kingdom. Don't live for God. He doesn't want you to eat the, he doesn't want you to eat the fruit because he knows you're going to become like him. You're going to be a threat to his kingdom. He's trying to keep you from your kingdom. Eat the fruit. It's good for you. You'll further progress your kingdom as if they were not kings and queens already made in the image of the king. So we want to think about the kingdom today. When Jesus Christ comes into our lives, he comes as the proclaimed king and calls us to surrender to his kingdom, his kingship, his reign. He calls us to rebel against our own doomed and empty kingdoms and trust him. Trust his sinner-saving, curse-reversing rule and reign and kingship. So in Matthew, you have the phrase kingdom of heaven. In Mark, you have the phrase kingdom of God. But Matthew prefers the, the phrase kingdom of heaven. Now, they are synonymous. They refer to the same kingdom. The kingdom of God is God's sinner-saving, curse-reversing reign in our world. Seen in this kingdom message, this kingdom word spoken the kingdom people receiving and believing and obeying this kingdom word and then spreading this kingdom word, this kingdom love and this kingdom presence. We have a confession of faith in our church and we define the kingdom here. So let me just read to you what Bethany Baptist Church's confession of faith says. The kingdom of God already present but not fully realized is the exercise of God's blessed reign in the world. There it is. God's blessed reign, not the cursed, not the curse that they're under, but the blessed reign in the world toward the reversal of the curse on all creation. It is an invasive power that regenerates and renovates the lives of individuals through repentance and faith. Has it renovated your life? Has it regenerated your life? I'll continue. Thus plundering Satan's kingdom. It establishes a new community of human life together under God. The full consummation of the kingdom awaits the return of Jesus Christ at the end of this age. That's the kingdom. Now, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, it's the same thing. But why does Matthew say kingdom of heaven? When you think of God, you think of a person, right? When you think of heaven, you think of a, a place or a spot, a place. So the kingdom of heaven is a place. The kingdom of heaven emphasizes a space, a spatial aspect of God's kingdom. It's not just God's reign, it's God's reign in God's place, in his space. So God's kingdom of heaven is a place, and that place gets created here on earth in the person of Jesus, then in the new creations God makes as he saves us and creates space for us to share life and share Jesus. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. God's kingdom creates space. So it's a sinner-saving, curse-reversing, and space-creating reign. As the song says, God didn't want heaven without us, so he brought heaven down. He made space here on earth for us, in himself first, in Christ himself, and then in his people and in the communities they form. As Christians... We want to live for this kingdom. We want to live for this space, for this place, for this person, this king. And our problem is we're not always clear what the kingdom of God is. But if we know what the kingdom of God is and we know how the kingdom of God works, we can actually live for the kingdom. I mean, if I pause right now, maybe I should just pause right now and just test you with someone around you. I'll give you a minute now. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I'll do it now. 30 seconds each. Just look to the person and tell them your definition of God's kingdom. I just said it. I wasn't telling you I was going to say it, but I want you to just see if you can work it out. So just turn to the person beside you. You go first for 30 seconds. What is God's kingdom? And then switch. Go. All right, go switch. 30 more seconds.
All right, thanks for trying. Graham Goldsworthy defines God's kingdom as God's people in God's place under God's rule. God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's a pretty good definition. The one I've been using is it's God's sinner-saving, curse-reversing, space-creating reign. I think that idea, sinner-saving, curse-reversing, space-creating reign, is what you see here in Matthew 13. Okay? So I want us to look at Matthew 13, and here's the main goal. Understand the kingdom of heaven. Understand what it is. Understand the kingdom of heaven and bring out its treasures today. So you first, if you're going to be a Christian and live for Christ, you need to understand what the kingdom of heaven is. And then you need to bring out the treasures of the kingdom of heaven to other people today and tomorrow and the next day and for the rest of your life. All right. So understand the kingdom of heaven and bring out its treasures to others today. So to understand the kingdom of heaven, let's consider these six truths about the kingdom of heaven in this passage. I'm going to say it in seven points, even though it's six truths because one of them repeats, okay? And it's just, I'm just going to go through the order of the text and it just repeats a theme later on, so we're just going to say it twice. But here are the six truths. The kingdom of heaven is maturing, expanding, permeating, discriminating, captivating, and discipling. Do you see that? It's sinner saving and curse reversing and space creating. So here it is. In this passage, we learn that the kingdom of heaven is maturing, expanding, permeating, discriminating, captivating, and discipling. I'll say it just one more time since I see you guys moving your pens. Maturing, expanding, permeating, discriminating, captivating, and discipling. Let's look at these one at a time. First of all, look at verses 24 through 30. Here's the story. You guys heard it. I read it in the beginning. So here's a master. He takes some seed. He sows his wheat. Great. The workers sow it. They all go to sleep. At night, an enemy comes. This is bioterrorism. And yes, there was bioterrorism back in that day and even today. This is an enemy who was maybe bitter towards his neighbor. And so he takes seeds, bad seeds, and he sows bad seeds at night when everyone's sleeping. Well, it takes a while. You keep planting and watering and taking out, um, you know, fighting off birds and things like that. And so um, eventually these crops grow. And in the beginning, these types of weeds um, and this, this type of wheat, they look very similar when they're young. As they're growing and sprouting, they look the same. But as they get a little bit bigger, you start to be able to tell a clear difference between the weeds and the wheat. And so as the workers are doing their job, tilling the soil like they're supposed to be doing, and, and taking care of the crops, they start realizing, Master, there's a bunch of weeds here. Someone has come and sowed weeds here. And, he's like, and, and Master says, oh, an enemy must have done it. So then they say, well, let's get rid of the weeds so that the wheat can grow correctly. And the Master surprisingly says, nope, don't do that. Don't touch it. Let them both grow. Because if you uproot the weeds, you might uproot some wheat as well, some of the good wheat. And if you do that, then we're going to lose some wheat. Let them both grow and just wait for harvest time. When the full season comes and it's harvest time, let's just uproot them all, separate them there, throw the weeds into the fire, burn the weeds, and put the wheat into the barn. Sound like a good plan? That's a pretty good plan. Okay, so that's the plan that the master says. What does that mean? What is Jesus telling us here? He's saying, let the wheat grow into its fullness. And when is fullness? When is it time to take it? At what? Harvest time, right? So let the wheat grow. In other words, it's not yet at full harvest. The kingdom of heaven is like a field that's not yet at full harvest. In other words, the kingdom is maturing. Has it reached full maturity yet? Yes or no? No, it's not harvest time yet. But it is maturing. It is sinner saving. It is space creating. It is curse reversing. It is maturing. It's growing. It's not yet, though, full harvest time. So application for us, brothers and sisters, be patient with the sinner-saving, curse-reversing, space-creating rule of God in your life and in those you love. Be patient. It is maturing. It is working. Yes, one day the kingdom will be here and there will be no more sin, no more pain, no more selfishness, no more torn ACLs in your knees, no more aging, no more sickness. The kingdom will come. 
But it's not here yet. But it's growing. It's maturing. It's moving. So be patient. Be patient in your own growth. Be patient in the growth of others. Understand the kingdom of heaven and bring out its treasures today. So we see the kingdom of heaven is maturing. Secondly, look at verses 31 and 32. When you go to verses 31 and 32, you realize that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's one of the smallest ones at that time, a small mustard seed. And it's small. It's insignificant. It's no big deal at all. You see a lot of mustard seeds everywhere. Not a big deal. But this mustard seed, when you plant it, it grows into a substantial tree shrub. Eight to ten feet tall. Birds can even can even nest there and, and live there in that tree shrub of a mustard tree. And the birds are exponentially larger than the seed, aren't they? The birds are far larger than that little small seed. Not only is it larger than that small seed, and it's not the small seed in the world. It's a small seed just that they generally use in the day. So it's not speaking of all seeds everywhere of all time. But even though it's a small seed, look at, look at these birds that can actually live in that mustard seed. Not because it's a seed anymore, but it grew into a what? A mustard tree, right? And so you start with this small, insignificant, seemingly worthless seed. And it becomes big enough that it can actually support birds and nests in its tree. So we, what do we see here? What is, this, what is the kingdom of heaven like? It's like a small seed. It's like a small mustard seed that grows up into a tree that can sustain life far bigger than what it first appeared to be. So the kingdom of heaven starts small and it seems insignificant. Now this would shock those reading the Bible. If I told you, or if Jesus came in the second coming, now I don't think this is going to happen. I'm almost sure of it. I'm pretty sure of it. But so were these, old, uh, so were these saints in Jesus' day. If Jesus came in the second coming and said, hey, this is not my final coming. I'm coming a third time. I'm just coming to encourage you to keep going and then there's another season of something happening and then I'm going to finally come. We would all be shocked, right? No, 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 Jesus, you're supposed to come and bring in the kingdom. You're supposed to heal my knee, Jesus. Give me my resurrected body now. You're here a second time. We're not talking about third comings, right? You read the Bible, you read Revelation, you expect Jesus to come. We just saying, come, Lord, come. Lo, he comes in clouds ascending. We're not talking about a second of five more comings talking about one more right now that's how they thought the kingdom was coming the first time a lot of the jews if you read ezekiel and isaiah and jeremiah and if you don't read it too carefully if you don't watch the patterns of the old testament but you just read it a quick reading you could legitimately legitimately conclude that when the kingdom comes it comes in a bang a flash it's not here the next day jesus sets it up and everyone bows down to the messiah's rule but jesus is shocking everyone here he's shocking us the kingdom of heaven seems small, insignificant, like a mustard seed. But it will grow. So what do we learn here? It grows and expands into something bigger than one would think. So here's the second thing. The kingdom of heaven is expanding. It's expanding. Have you ever watched a tree grow? Like just stared and watched the tree grow from seed to a full grown tree or at least to eight feet tall? Anyone do that? No, none of you have done that. Have you ever seen a kid grow from birth to eight years old? Like, like seen, like just stared at them the whole time and just seen them slowly grow? You don't see them grow like that. You sleep, you go the next day. In other words, when you stare at a tree or even a, a kid, but let's, let's stick to the tree analogy here. If you stare at a tree, is it growing? Yes or no? Like from one foot to two feet to three feet to eight feet, is it growing? Yes or no? Can you see it if you stare at it? No, you can't, right? If you just stare at it in time and you keep watching it and try to observe the actual growth, it's so slow that it's imperceptible to you, even as you stare at it. You can't see it. So what do you need to do? In our day, if you get an iPhone, not my iPhone. Oh, actually, my iPhone could probably do it. I have an iPhone 7, top of the line. Um, but you could do videos uh, called time-lapse videos, right? Could you see it in a time-lapse video? Yeah, right? You can see it in a time-lapse video, but you can't see it if you stare at it. 
That's the way the kingdom of heaven grows. It's growing in you. I mean, look at your own Christian life. Have you grown from five years ago in your Christian life, in your spirituality, in your devotion to Jesus? Yes or no? If you've been a Christian that long, some of you haven't been a Christian that long. You can't see growth day to day, but the kingdom of heaven is expanding. And eventually it houses the birds of the sky. And I think that's even an allusion to Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 2, talking about the kingdom of Babylon, which is like a tree that houses all the birds of, of the earth. Eventually the kingdom of heaven will take over the whole earth. It's this little mustard seed that starts small, but eventually takes over the whole earth. Okay, so the kingdom of heaven is expanding. And look at verse 33. We get a third parable here. In verse 33, it says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. If you're a baker here, how much leaven would you need to leaven 50 pounds of flour? Does anyone know? I don't know. It wouldn't even be a pound of leaven, right? Am I misspeaking there? For leaven, it's small, it's only a little bit, but it can actually permeate 50 pounds of flour. So here we learn that the kingdom of heaven is not only maturing and expanding, thirdly, it's permeating. The, the, the yeast, the leaven, it, it leavens the whole, the, whole, uh, the whole batch of dough, all 50 pounds. And so the kingdom of heaven, it starts small, not in all of the 50 pounds of flour, but as it's baking, it starts to permeate the whole thing. And so it is with the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom. It expands and permeates all things in this old world, in this old earth, eventually. And just like we learned earlier in the, in the previous point, the kingdom works invisibly. Just like you can't see a tree grow in, in real time, but you could see it over lapsed time. You can't see it in and of itself. You can't see the leaven leavening the bread, but can you see its effects? Yeah, you can, right? So it works invisibly. You can't see the leaven spreading through the flour, but its, it's permeating work is invisible. And yet, you can see the effects of it. The effects of the leaven is, you know, unleavened bread's like crackers, right? What we take for the Lord's Supper. It's crackers. But when you see leavened bread, it's, it's soft. It's puffy. There's air in there because the leaven has been, been, been expanding it with its air. And it permeates the whole thing. And you can see it. It's visible. It's obvious. You can tell leavened bread from unleavened bread easily. So let me apply this to you. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's permeating and expanding. So brothers and sisters, trust that the sinner-saving, curse-reversing, space-creating kingdom reign is working even if it seems insignificant and small, and invisible, and not obvious. You can't see it in real time necessarily, but it's working. Trust that God's kingdom is expanding and permeating and important, and it's significant. Trust that it's so significant that you should give your life to it. If you can't see it, how can you trust that it's happening? One, you could see the effects. Two, read your Bible, because your Bible tells you over and over again that God's kingdom is working. Question for you, brothers and sisters. Are you discouraged in your Christian growth? Are you discouraged in your Christian life? I confess I was a little discouraged yesterday, not just with the knee situation, but my response to the knee situation. Like, why am I still wrestling with complaining? I know God is good. I know he has good purposes for this situation. I know that five years from now, I might see it. I know 50,000 years from now when I'm in heaven, I will know that that was the greatest thing that could have happened to me yesterday was injuring my knee. I will know that. And I know that I'll know that, but I don't know that now. Why am I still complaining? Why can't I just get it? I could, I could theologize it. I could look at the Bible. I could reason it out. But my heart is so slow to get there. Are you discouraged in your Christian growth, in your Christian life? Brothers and sisters, be, be encouraged. Let grace work in your heart. Trust that God is working in you. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you, will be faithful to what? To complete that work in you. And in Philippians 2.13 says that God is working in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do you know that God is working in you, his sinner saving, curse reversing, space creating reign in you? And God's not working at you at 50% capacity? 
He's not working at you in 99% capacity. God in his omnipotent love and power is working in you with his full might and focus. We can't focus on everyone at once. God can. God is focused on working on you. And he's working in you. So be encouraged. Church family, are you growing impatient in the growth and change in those around you who profess faith in Christ? Are you growing impatient with others in this church who are growing slowly or don't seem to be growing at all? Let grace work in the hearts of our fellow believers. Trust that God is working in those around you who are true Christians. Don't always trust your immediate or current perception of a person's situation and their soul. I say that as a pastor, as someone who does biblical counseling. I, I can't, we, we must not always trust our perception of someone's life in the moment. You can't always see what God is doing in somebody's life. Trust the kingdom work of God. If you're discipling others as Christians, as we all ought to be, brothers and sisters, gospelize non-Christians. Give them the grace of the gospel. Tell them the message of Jesus. Don't worry about their response. You can't tell what God's kingdom is doing. Throw out the seed. Let it go. And just wait and pray and watch. Don't be discouraged as you gospelize others and as you plant seemingly insignificant ideas in their minds and hearts or significant ideas that seem to have an insignificant effect more accurately in people's minds and hearts. Just tell them the truth. Speak the truth in love and let God work. Some of you have been gospelizing your family and friends and coworkers and classmates for a long time, and you're thinking, it's not going to do any good anymore. Stop thinking that. God is working, brother. God is working, sister. And if you feel like you're wasting your life by living for Christ and his kingdom, which some of you might be feeling, trust that God's kingdom is the most expansive and pervasive reality in the world. It's the most significant reality on planet Earth today, and it's worth investing your life in. Things are not what they appear to be. Don't let your eyes fool you. Don't let other Christians in this church fool you if they just say nothing is happening. That's not true. It's expanding. It's permeating. It's maturing. It's saving sinners. It's reversing the curse. It's creating space. Fourthly, look at verses 36 to 43. We'll skip over um, the 30. 30, um, 34 and 35 for now. We'll pick that up at the end in our, in our last point. But let's go to the next one. Um, this next illustration is, um, or actually here, Jesus, um, he gives the, his interpretation of the, the weeds and the wheat. So what's the interpretation? I'll just quiz you and say it out loud or you can look in your Bible. The sower is who? Look at the verse. The sower is whom? The son of man. And who's the son of man? Jesus, okay, good. And the field is? Go ahead and look at your Bible and shout it out when you see it. The field is what? The world. That's right. And the good seed, what is the good seed? Christians, what's the phrase that Jesus uses? You're right, it is Christians, but what's the phrase Jesus uses? Children of the kingdom. Children of the kingdom is the good seed. What's the bad seed? Children of the evil one. Who is the enemy? Satan, but the word there is what? The devil. What does it mean to be burned? You know, it's like they're going to burn the weed and then barn the wheat. What does it mean to be burned? Eternal judgment. You'll, you'll be thrown into a blazing furnace where there will be what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a euphemism um, speaking of hell. It's not going to be less than that. It's going to be worse than that. The imagery of hell is the best attempt to try to get at the reality. But words don't do justice to the reality of hell or heaven. It just tries to get you in the right direction. And if you're going to be barned, put in the barn as wheat, it's the righteous who will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. All right, so you guys see the analogy here? So what is the kingdom of heaven like? It's like Jesus sowing his people in the world. And as he sows his people in the world, Satan comes, the devil comes, and he sows his people in the world. And so you have the people of God and the people of the devil in the world at the same time, side by side. Should God just take out his people now? No, he leaves them here. 
And he leaves, his, he leaves Satan's people here. And they grow up in this world together. And then there will come a judgment day. And who are the harvesters, by the way? The servants? They are who? Angels. There will come a harvest day. And on the harvest day is judgment day. The angels will come. They'll gather all people. And all of the children of the devil, of the evil one, will be burned in hell forever. And all the children of the kingdom will shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom forever on a new earth forever and ever and ever. That is the end of the world. I just told you your future in one of the two. I mean, I'm looking at all of you here. All of you, that's one of your future. For all of you here, you have one of those two futures. You will shine like the sun in the kingdom or you will burn in hell under the wrath and judgment of God forever. That is your future, one of those two. And so what do we learn here? We learn that the kingdom of heaven is discriminating. It discriminates, it, it, it discerns, it divides. And everyone is either a child of the kingdom or a child of the evil one. Everyone will either be burned or barned. They'll shine like the sun or they'll be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth in darkness and isolation and loneliness and selfishness forever and ever and ever. And so Jesus gives us one command here. What's the command in verse 43? Let anyone who has ears, what? Hear or listen. If you have ears to hear the message of the kingdom, pay attention. Stop being distracted. Stop staring at your phone and checking the next notification. What's latest on social media? Stop. Listen. Jesus is speaking. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Do you hear this? The kingdom of heaven is maturing toward judgment. Toward judgment day. And on judgment day, the kingdom of heaven will be discriminating between those of the kingdom and those of the evil one. If you're not a Christian, you might be thinking something like this. Why does God even have a hell? Why is God so judgmental and angry? I mean, I mean, why does God have to send his son, supposedly, to a bloody cross, and he has to die for sinners? And then God, I just heard your brother Jim here preach or uh, pray that God poured out his wrath on his son on the cross. You guys believe in a wrathful father? You believe in a wrathful God who judges sin and judges sinners? Is that what you believe? I want to believe in a God of love. What kind of God is that who's always angry and judgmental and wrathful? Doesn't the Bible say God is love? If you're not a Christian, you might be thinking that. And let me respond to you. If that's what you're thinking, let me just give you a, a brief response. Okay? A God who loves must be a God who's angry. Just like a person who loves must be a person who's angry. If I love my daughters, and someone unjustly and wrongly violates and hurts them, and I wasn't angry, would I love my daughters if I didn't care? If I love them and they're wronged with injustice, my love turns into anger when they're wronged, right? If, I don't, if I'm not angry, I don't care. If I don't care, I don't love. So what is love? I mean, what, 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 what does anger have to do with love? Anger and judge, and also I'd want justice for my girls, right? I'd want justice for my daughters. Love gets angry and longs for justice in the face of injustice and sin. Love cares. Love acts. Love doesn't just, you know, pet the side of their face, the victim's face, and just say, oh, it's all good. Don't worry. Think positive. That is not love. Love seeks justice. Love seeks righteousness. Love seeks the best treatment, the right treatment for the ones they love, right? So if you're saying, why, how can God be so angry and so wrathful? Because God is love. He loves his glory. He loves his people. He loves, he loves even those who aren't his people, who are made in his image. He loves his creation. God loves them, so he cares. He does get angry at sin. He will judge sin. And those who don't come to Christ the King 
will be damned forever in hell. Because God loves. Because he loves his glory. And he loves his people. And he loves this world. And if you're not a Christian, he does love you right now as he's sharing the gospel with you through me. These truths about judgment. So if you're not ready for judgment, let me share with you the gospel as clearly as I can. If you're not a Christian, just understand this one message of Christianity and forget everything else I said, if you have to only remember one thing. God is the gospel. The gospel is good news, and I have good news for you. And the good news is God. He's the good news. What do I mean God is the good news? God is the good news for, for, these, four th- for these four reasons. Number one, God is creator. God created you. He made you. And he made you in his image so that you would enjoy him and enjoy his people forever. But God is not only creator, God is judge. God judges sin. God judges sinners. Because God loves his people and he loves his glory. And he loves you. So he judges sin. For God to not judge sin would for him to be not, be, not be God. So God is judge. And the judgment for sin is eternal death in hell. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. But I told you this is good news, not bad news. Because he's not only creator and judge, God is Jesus. Jesus is God, God the Son. And God came down and became a man so that he might perfectly obey the whole law and suffer, human, uh, suffer uh, punishment for human sin. So he died in our place for our sin. He lived the life we should have lived. He died on the cross for our sins. And he covers the sins of all his people because he's not just man, he's also God. He can cover the sin of more than one person. He covers the sin of all sinners who would repent and believe. He died for sinners and rose from the dead. So God is Jesus. And lastly, God is king or God is treasure. He's your king who will free you from your slavery to sin. He's your king who will free you from slavery to death. He's your king who will save you from slavery to Satan and his kingdom. He will be your treasure He will be your all in all. He will be your savior. God is king. And that's good news for sinners who need to be freed from their kingdom of darkness. So if you're not a Christian, I have good news for you. God, trust in Jesus and repent from your sins. Rebel against Satan's kingdom and your own personal kingdom and my kingdom of health. And rest in Christ, the king who died for your sins and rose from the dead. As one songwriter wrote, he is waiting, will you leave him? Pleading at your heart in vain? He is willing, oh believe him, he may never call again. Right now Jesus is calling you. He might not ever call you again. The king is calling you right now to repent from your sins and trust in him. Now we learn here that there are, as we continue through the psalm, I mean not the psalm, this um, parable, we learn that there are weeds and wheat together in this world. And some people apply this to the church, that in the church you have sinners and saints, true Christians and, fo- and fake Christians in the church. And is that true? Are there true Christians in churches today? Yes or no? Are there fake Christians in churches today? Yes or no? Yes, in every church, Right? There are weeds and wheat that grow together. Now, Jesus is not speaking of the church here. The field is not the church. The field is the what? The world. So he's talking about in this world. Jesus is not ending this world yet. The kingdom is coming slowly in this world, and he's giving time. It's maturing. So don't be surprised if there's evil in this world. But because the church is in this world, don't be surprised that there's evil in the church. We're still sinners. But, and don't be surprised that there are fake Christians in the church. There are weeds in the church. What should we do? Should we identify them and uproot them right away? Is that what Jesus says to do here? What does he tell us to do or tell the angels to do? To what? Wait. Now, we have to do more than wait as Christians. We have church discipline here for unrepentant sin. For those who refuse to repent and trust in Jesus as they profess to repent and trust in Jesus. So we will practice church discipline, but we'll be patient there. But even then, there will still be in our church, even if a church that practices church discipline, there will still be false Christians in the churches. So we need to be patient and wait until the end of the age for final judgment and separation. Right now, as Christians, we should remember the reality of judgment. Friends, judgment is coming, 
and there is hell for sinners. They are called children of the evil one. They are those who cause others to sin. It says that, look at verse, let's get a description here. Look at verse 30, I'm sorry, 41. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and are guilty of lawlessness. Have you broken God's law? Have you caused others to sin? And if you haven't repented and trusted in Jesus, you are a weed that Jesus will eventually uproot through his angels. So trust God if you're a Christian to sort it out in the end. But if you're listening, if you have ears to hear, listen. Jesus is telling you to repent and trust in him. So understand the kingdom of heaven and bring out its treasures today. The kingdom of heaven is maturing toward judgment day. It's expanding in greatness. It's permeating this world. It's discriminating and deciding on those who are the children of the kingdom and children of the evil one. Fifthly, in verses 44 to 46, the kingdom of heaven is captivating. Look at 44 to 46. And I'll tell you, I'll just tell you the story. You could look at it though. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who's walking with his walking stick in the field. Walking home, walking to work, walking to visit a friend. He's walking, and when you have a walking stick, you just keep sticking it in the ground. I'm just adding to the story here to give you a visual. You keep walking with your stick in the ground. He puts the stick down, puts the stick down every step. I could probably use a walking stick today. And as he, st- as he sets it down in the dirt, he hears a clank. It's a little bit harder at this spot where he just put his walking stick down. What's that? He hits it a few more times. He starts using his hand, starts using the stick, starts finding ways to to uncover what's under in this field. He finds out there's a treasure chest. There's a treasure hidden in the field. Back in the day, you didn't have banks to put your money. You found a spot that no one knew, and you dug a hole and put your treasure there. That was your safety security deposit. So, So someone put it there, and maybe the owner of that field doesn't even know it's there. So what does this guy do? He goes and sells everything he has. I think I was reading this with John Lee, and he said, how long would it take to sell everything you have? Garage sales, offer up, online, Facebook, social media. Try to sell everything you have. How long would it take? This guy is on a mission to sell every single thing he owns, all his assets, and take all of that to buy what? To buy the field. And it says, in his joy, he sells all he has. He's so happy. The treasure in that field is worth more than all of his assets combined. Hundreds of times over. It's a no-brainer in terms of the return on this investment, right? Sell everything you have and get this treasure. It's worth it. So what do we learn about the kingdom of God? What does the kingdom of God do to this man? It captivated him. The kingdom of heaven is captivating. It takes your breath away. It shows you its value, its worth, and it captivates you, and it makes you crazy. Not really crazy, it makes you sane. But in the world's eyes, when they can't see the value of the kingdom, you look crazy. Why would you repent from your sins? Why would you repent from your righteousness? Why would you trust in Jesus? Why would you give your life to Jesus and his cause and his people and your neighbors for his name? Why would you do that? Why would you sell everything you have and everything you are to have this treasure? Because he's worth it. Because the kingdom is worth it. Because it's captivated you. You see, the kingdom of heaven is captivating and it makes people who see the value by faith, they see that value and they sell everything they have in their joy. It's not even, it's not even a pain at the end of the day. It's a no-brainer. It's a joy to sell all that they have. So that's what the kingdom is like. We need to see its value and rejoice in the opportunity before you. This opportunity is open to all. This man stumbled upon, he, he wasn't looking for the, the treasure, he stumbled upon it. But then you get the next one in verses 45 and 46. And you see here that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who's searching for pearls. So now he's looking for pearls. And then he finds the one priceless pearl. And what does he do? Verse 46, what does he do? He sells what? Everything he has to buy that one pearl. Why? Because that pearl's value is greater than everything he owns. All of his assets, right? That's why he does it. Because the kingdom is worth it. It has captivated him. So whether you are a, whether you're searching for the kingdom this morning, some of you are searching for, some of you feel the emptiness of your own life. You feel that the philosophies of this world are not adding up. You feel like the treasures of physical health or pleasures or friendships are not 
giving you all that you long for and you're looking for something more. You know there has to be more to your life and more to this world than you first thought. And you're looking for this valuable thing. Well, guess what? It is Jesus and his kingdom. So if you're looking for the world, or looking for the treasure, I'm telling you, this is the one treasure for your life. Jesus Christ and his kingdom. But some of you are here not because you're looking for the kingdom or looking for the treasure. Some of you are here because your friend forced you to come today. And so you decided to come and you have stumbled upon treasure. Jesus and his kingdom. And I'm telling you, if you came here today and you've stumbled upon a long church service like this, you are, you are hearing now the words of the king and he's telling you, I will give you eternal life. I will give you forgiveness of sins. I will give you a glorified body and a kingdom. I will give you the kingdom as you repent and trust in me as your king and Lord and treasure. So whether you were looking for something significant because you knew something was missing in your life or you're walking and stumbling along a field, you have stumbled upon the kingdom of God this morning. Come to Jesus, repent from your sins, and trust in him. And then you'd make sense of songs like this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather have... I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be a king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Do you feel like that's your heart right now? If that is, that's a good sign that you're a Christian. If that sounds so foreign to you, that it makes not a lot of sense? Ask God to help it make sense. Ask God for eyes to see and a heart to feel the value. You need to understand the kingdom of heaven if you're going to bring out its treasures. The kingdom of heaven is maturing toward judgment day. It's expanding in its greatness. It's permeating this world. It's discriminating the children of the kingdom and the children of the evil one. And it's captivating its people with its value and worth. Number six. The kingdom of heaven is discriminating. I know that was a point earlier, but it's repeated here, so we're going to repeat it again. So what happens next in verses 47 to 50? The kingdom of heaven is like a large net that's thrown into the lake. The sea there is the Sea of Galilee, which is not a sea. It's a lake. You can call it a sea, a body of water. So you get this huge, there's, there's smaller nets. You go to a boat, you take your boat out, and you throw a net over the boat. That's not this, this net. This is a net that's more shallow. You walk out as far as you can in the lake with this huge net. You get men, and you drag the net from as far as you can walk all the way to the shore, and you're just dragging everything in that net. Trash, litter, big fish, small fish, fish, uh, animals, sea animals with fins, sea animals without fins, whatever, whatever gets caught in there, you're just dragging it all to the shore. And when you get to the shore, you know what they do? They get all the fish that's good for food and good for the market. They keep those and store those, and everything else, what do they do? They throw it away. And what does Jesus say? Jesus interprets this parable and he says to us in verse 50, 49, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will go out and separate the evil people from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see the point here again? It's discriminating. Jesus will judge. The kingdom of heaven is discriminating and there is a judgment day one day where you will either be shining like the righteous with God's people or you will be thrown in hell and the lake of fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the kingdom of heaven is discriminating. And number seven, lastly, the kingdom of heaven is discipling. You could say guiding if you like the word guiding. I like the word discipling. You could choose one. The kingdom of heaven is discipling. It's discipling people. It's teaching people. It's guiding people. And its disciples includes um, some of us. And so Jesus tells us, look, look at verse Go back to Matthew 13, verse 30, 34. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables, and he did not tell them anything without a parable, so that, was spoke, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Here's what Jesus is doing with the parables. He's fulfilling this prophecy. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So Jesus here is telling parables. 
Psalm 78 says, and June's going to preach on this verse tonight, so come back tonight at 5 o'clock to hear the 15-minute sermon devotional on this. But here, Asaph, in Psalm 78, Asaph was telling something about the kingdom of Israel. They started wandering in the wilderness. They kept disobeying God. He's saying, I'm bringing out new things from old truths. You know the history of Israel, but what Asaph is doing is he's painting a picture saying, look at the history of Israel. They were rebellious. They were stubborn. They were insignificant. They were homeless. They were wandering in the wilderness. And by the end of this, God is so patient, guiding them, bringing them to the land, giving them leaders. And in the end, who gets to be their king? King David. King David. If you read the end of the psalm, it climaxes with King David and Judah as God's people. And so what is, what is Asaph saying? Even though the world is even though the kingdom seems small and insignificant and rebellious, in the end, God will bring his king David to rule and reign, and it's going to be all good in the end. That's Psalm 78, okay? And so what is, the, what is Asaph doing? He's actually using the history of Israel as a parable. That though it seems insignificant, God is moving towards a goal, and David will reign in the end. And so what Jesus is doing is he's giving more parables about the same thing, that the kingdom is is insignificant, but it's expanding. It seems like it's mixed, but it's maturing. It's going to have a judgment day. It's discriminating. It's permeating. It's valuable. It's captivating. And right now, as Jesus teaches, and as I'm teaching even now, it's guiding. The kingdom of heaven is working right now and discipling you as you think about what the kingdom of heaven is. And so Jesus asks his disciples in verse 51, do you guys understand these things? And what do they say? What do they say, Jabez? They say, yes. Yeah, we get it. Now we learn from verses 11 and 12 that it doesn't come from them. God the Father reveals it to them. So you're not better than other people, but if you understand the kingdom of heaven uh, centered on Jesus, that's because God gave it to you. Okay, so what's the main application then? Verse 52, last verse. What's the main application then? If you understand that this kingdom is teaching you and guiding you and it's centered on Christ and it's expanding and permeating and captivating, what are you supposed to do in verse 52? It says, Therefore, if you understand these things, he said to them, every teacher of the law, that's a teacher of the law of Moses, who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven under Jesus, is like the owner of a house, last parable, who brings out of his storeroom what? What does he bring out? Treasures. And what kind of treasures? New and old. And that order is significant. New first and then the old. Because they're a disciple of the kingdom. If they understand the law of Moses, do they have old truths to teach? Yes or no? If you understand the Old Testament, do you have old truths to teach? Yes. But these old truths of Moses and of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, is now understood in Jesus. Jesus is the king. He is the fulfillment. And he is teaching about the kingdom. And his teaching is new. But it's not brand new. It's new, but it's rooted in the foundations of the world. It's old. It's new for the moment. It's in the new covenant era as Jesus dies and rises. But it's old truths. And so if you're a Christian, if you understand the kingdom of God, you are responsible like an owner to bring out from the storeroom of your own heart because God has written the law where? On your heart, right? If you're a Christian. From the storeroom of your heart, you are to bring out treasures to people. New treasures about Jesus the King and the way that the Bible applies to us today. What a privilege. And then you could tell them, these new treasures I'm giving you are rooted in old treasures, in a God who created the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he made a promise to curse people, even Adam and Eve in the garden, that he would save them. And he promised through Abraham that he would bless a people who would be the ones to save the world through mediating the blessing of God as a holy nation and a royal priesthood. And God fulfilled this in Jesus, and he's fulfilling it in his people. And as you're preaching the gospel to people now, you're telling them the good news of the kingdom. Treasures new and treasures old from the storeroom of your heart. So what's my main application to you? It's the main application of Matthew. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Go, therefore, and disciple all ethnic people groups, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I, the King, am with you to the end of the age. Jesus commissions us to bring out from the storeroom of our hearts 
treasures new and old. So learn the Old Testament. Learn the New Testament. Learn the gospel. And share the gospel with those around you. Share it with those in the church. Share it with those outside the church. Church family, let's teach and gospelize each other. Let's go together and gospelize the lost. Jesus equips us for this through pastors and other leaders, but ultimately, pastors are not a special class of Christian. They're just Christians. And we support pastors here, and we're trying to raise up pastors here through our internship program and apprenticeship and pastoral assistance and our investment in them because we know that pastors and teachers, what they do is they train people to understand the word so that people can bring out from the storm of their heart treasures new and old in discipling each other and discipling the world. So brothers and sisters, in closing, understand the kingdom of heaven and bring out its treasures today. The kingdom of heaven is maturing toward judgment day. It's expanding in greatness. It's permeating the world. It's discriminating what child you are, and it's captivating people with its value and worth. So that's my challenge to you this morning. Share Christ's kingdom treasures that he's giving you and that he's investing in you. Share it with those around you. If you don't, you're going to be distracted by your own worthless, by your own worthless empty, dead-end kingdom. And in the end, God's judgment awaits you if you're not really a Christian. But if you trust in Christ the King, and if you live to share these kingdom treasures, you, will, you won't see everything God's doing, but you'll grow in experience, experience, experiencing Christ's kingly power in you. You might even show, see a little bit of its fruit, its fruit and effects in people's lives as you walk by faith in his word. When I hurt my knee, I felt anger, and then as brothers prayed and as I was praying, by God's grace, God helped me. And I feel like I've been struggling for the last 24 hours since this happened. I asked them, like I said, I asked the men around me, who prayed for me? Ross, do you remember who prayed for me? Was it you? Thanks, brother. Ross prayed for me. I couldn't remember that time. There's so many thoughts in my head at that moment. I was just asking somebody to pray for me. Ross prayed for me. Uh, for my heart and soul first and my injury second. And what happened was God was pressing his sinner-saving, curse-reversing, space-creating rain on my heart in that moment while I was sitting down there on the basketball court. He was pushing out my self-centered kingdom. And he was drawing me again to him. And that's so small. It's such a small moment. But from small moments like that grows a lifestyle and a lifetime of love and ministry in all of our hearts that is so big and so significant and so powerful that when we look back from heaven, we're going to look back on these days and our church days here, and we're going to think, man, why didn't I invest more? There were so many significant, significant conversations I had after service on a Sunday, and I thought it was not a big deal, but God was pressing his mustard seed rain in our hearts through our times together. Brothers and sisters, share your life and share Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you reign over us and that you press your reign on us in big ways and in small ways, in small moments and significant moments. You are pressing your reign into our lives and through us into other people's lives. And so we love your kingdom. We want to live for your kingdom. We want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. So we ask that you'd help us to do that, we pray. Thank you that your reign is good. Forgive us for complaining and striving for our own kingdoms when your kingdom is the treasure that we long for. Use us now even as we speak to each other, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the next three minutes or so to share with those around you something God pressed on you. So if you're a guest here, feel no obligation to share. You could just introduce yourself, your name, and then just listen in on a conversation. But what we typically do here is we, we find someone and we share something God was pressing on us from the passage, and, um, and then we take time to hear from another person. It's another way of sharing life and sharing Jesus and sharing the treasures. So go ahead and share from the treasures of your heart something new and something old with those around you. If you're a guest, listen in on a conversation. If you're a member here, look around at those who don't have um, someone to share with and share with them. And if you're a member, try not to share with your own household because you could share later with those in your household. You do have it? Where is it?
Okay, I didn't see it, but yeah, yeah. You have a shorter time today, about th three minutes, because of the Lord's Supper.